30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard What strange spirits animate our physical bodies? An object falls and your hand shoots out, correctly calculating not only where the object will be in the next few milliseconds, but the precise manner in which your palm, thumb, and fingertips should close around it, all before you can even think of the word catch. Our daily lives are filled with automated processes, complex series of physical actions that we've boiled down to ritualized routines we're no longer even aware of. Brushing our teeth, walking upstairs, washing the dishes, all tasks it would take a team of engineers to train a robot to perform poorly, and yet we do it easily, effortlessly, mindlessly. But what happens when we try to move mindfully? When we start from a place of stillness and observe our body as its actions unfold? From yoga to walking meditations, there are countless practices that try to realign our body-mind connection in addition to the ritualized sacred dances that have helped communities commune with the spirits and ancestors their eyes couldn't see. Unseen forces and animated bodies are the spectral domain of today's guest, Jacqueline Marie Shannon. Jacqueline is a Texas-born, Brooklyn-based theater scholar, ritual artist, and dancer. And her dance style is a little less bump and grind and more things that go bump in the night exploring hauntings, spiritualism, and ectoplasmic motion through what she calls ghostly practice. Jacqueline is currently working on a PhD at the CUNY Graduate Center focused on theater, spectrality, and transformation, and she performs with one of my favorite Brooklyn bands, Cookie Tongue. She was kind enough to take a break from studying seances to join us today and teach us how to dance like a ghost. Boo. <laughs> Hello, Jacqueline. Welcome to Ritual Space. Hello, Devin. Thank you very much for having me. What's our magic word going to be? Our magic word is suspense. Suspense. Ooh, fun. All right. So on the count of three, all you listeners, say it with us. One, two, three. Suspense. suspense. Ooh. Lots right. of S's in that one. Yeah. <laughs> now, I... Kind of want to make everyone wait to find out why, but let's just get right into it. Why suspense? Suspense. Suspense because I think that there is a different kind of perception, um, different kind of information that's available to us when we allow ourselves to slow down time. And with suspense, you have not only a, an idea of uh, or a sense of time being slowed down time being altered but of your sensation or your experience of time being changed in that moment so I I often like to think about or encourage people to find um, 
or inhabit some kind of moment that is somewhere between suspension and release mm. and discovering what is possible in that space. Ooh, I love that. I hadn't thought about it, but there's so many interesting offshoots of the word suspense as well. Like you suspend your disbelief mm-hmm. or suspension of uh, something, the liquid. There's all of these different ways that. Yes. It, Excitement. When you think of the suspense mm-hmm. of something it's killing me. happening. Yeah. Um, or something could happen at any moment. Yeah. I love that feeling of, of um, it's almost like a, a subtle titillation of being on the precipice of something. That could happen at any moment. Because there's an anticipation there mm-hmm. as well. Like it's like there's an expectation that you're you're not just hanging out in your apartment just in suspense. You're like, oh no, someone's about to come home or like mm-hmm. this thing might happen. Yeah. yeah. But then even that just that moment itself becomes the moment. That yeah. that is the thing. Without having to kind of arrive at some kind of answer to what that thing might be. It's yeah. just the possibility of possibly entering the door well let's invite some things to the door <laughs> okay. uh let's talk about dancing ghosts and dancing with ghosts <laughs> okay where did where did your interest in in ghostly dancing come from i've taken your i've taken your class before and mm-hmm. i'm excited to talk about that more but i'd love to just get some background on how this came to be something that you were interested in yeah this is such an interesting question um, because you and I know each other. We do. Um, but there are still many things that you don't know about me. That's um, true. For example, I when I think about where my interest in ghostly dancing came from, um, my grandfather was a ghost photographer in Tombstone, Arizona. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you that. Um, so when I was a little girl, he would always have these very um, colorful ghost stories for us. Um that seemed to be kind of beyond your typical ghost story. Yeah. He was also a military man. So he was, he was a very rational man or presented himself like that. No nonsense ghost photographer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that, right. Exactly. So he was a, he was a paradox. Um, and he lived in Tombstone, Arizona, which was, it's the the old West, um, the recreation, a very theatrical town. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had their pizza. (laughs) Oh, do they still make that? I don't know. I don't Who's know. Who's the they? I don't yeah. know. Um, pizza, pizza sprites. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, just my my awareness of spirit, um, of ghosts, I think was really cultivated by him. Um, and then, and this is, this is actually common for a lot of folks who work with spirit um, and with ghosts who have sensitivity around um, that world. Um I have I have asthma mm-hmm. and often um, children who struggle with breathing seem to have a kind of um, connection or sensitivity to the spirit world as well. That's so interesting because of the literal meaning of spirit, meaning mm-hmm. breath and to inspire, to, to inspire, breathe, inspire, to breathe in mm-hmm. and to, yeah, to not have the normal relationship with breath and then therefore be. Yeah. I remember there was something once that was like, um, maybe I think it was my friend Ramin had a comic that was about uh, like breathing because it's the first thing you'd want to do if you'd been dead mm, like mm-hmm. if, if you were coming back that would be number one on your list yeah. of like ah oh, nice good breath yeah and then the other thing that i think of too that um 
you know, for an asthmatic or for folks who struggle with breathing, you become profoundly aware of the absence of breath. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, we can say that a ghost is a present absence. So, Ooh. yeah. So they ghosts um, make themselves known symptomatically. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that Alice Rayner said, who's a theater um theater scholar and writes about ghosts and hauntings in the theater um and i love that yeah. i love that that phrase of uh, ghosts making themselves known symptomatically um that you sense their absence in some way yeah yeah that's so fascinating i love that idea too of yeah the present absence of like feeling the mm -hmm. thing that's not there feeling something's missing almost it makes me think of like looking at a bookshelf and then you're like wait something's off mm. i'm missing something that's you're missing something that's yeah. interesting right so the yeah. even just that the other meaning with i'm missing something not mm -hmm. that i don't see it but even that i'm i'm longing for something that should be there that um i mean and even the idea of missing something or something being off itself is a kind of ghosting effect too exactly right um and that i think that the visuality of that gets back to this idea of being somewhere between suspension and release of hovering of being suspended in time and space even your imagination of what the thing should be which which i think is so funny it also applies quite literally to the modern concept of ghosting where it's a present absence you're mm -hmm. like i should be texting with this person who's <laughs> mm -hmm. suddenly nowhere to be found mm -hmm. wtf like I, I've, I've been around you. I know you're on your phone. Like, what are you doing? And so that's like, that like weighs on you. Mm -hmm. That like, th there's supposed to be a communication, a connection, and you're very disturbed mm -hmm. by the absence of that, by not having that flow back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we say, yeah, so we say to be ghosted. And, and another, when we say ghosted, we also mean, um, you know, back in the day when television wasn't digital and, and too perfect to be perfect like it is now, um, when you would have kind of disruptions and there would be a figure and then a kind yeah. of weird kind of glitchy outline around that figure. You see that in yeah. old televisions sometimes, you know, um, that's also a ghosting effect too. So there's a glitch in the communication when we're ghosted by someone, right? There's something right. askew, um, familiar, but unfamiliar at the same time yeah yeah well now let's talk about the dancing portion of this sure. when did where did your was your grandma a dancer so, so was my grandfather um <laughs> <laughs> but you know i no so that yeah. that does that's definitely not where um that connection comes from i i was always he wasn't the he wasn't tombstone's famous Dancing, tap dancing, ghost <laughs> photographer. No, but he did take a lot of photos in uh, the cabaret hall. Mm. So one of the, the famous ghosts in Tombstone is in the saloon. Is a um, burlesque ghost? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, best kind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I've always been a mover, but my first um, really foray into what I would call, what I, what I now call ghostly practice, mm -hmm. um, a... a a form of movement or an approach to movement, not just dance, but moving the body, yeah. not just for performance, um, that's informed by the notion of the ghost or the figure of the ghost or the sensation of ghostly presence. Um, I think that that really began with my exposure to um, Japanese Butoh, which mm. I know we've spoken about before. Um, Butoh is a post-World War II dance theater form um, 
that was begun in Japan by two modern dance students. And it often um, brings in images of uh, death, of shadow, as well as light. I mean, it's many things and has become many things at this point. But um, my first, I, I was first exposed to Butoh as a dance student in college in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, there was just something about it that resonated deeply with me. Um, it, it became, it became a modality for making sense of a lot of the information that I think I've always been, um, that I've always felt in my body, um, and helped me to translate those things, Mm -hmm. presences really. Um, it's kind of at the intersection of theory and practice because there's a lot Mm. of conceptualizing that it seems to go around it but then it moves it into a space of physical movement and um, incorporated body forms and things like that yeah and I, mean, I think what really attracts me to Butoh specifically um, is that it really is about being moved mm-hmm. so the body is moved by something um, and I mean we could think about affect and, and emotion and being moved in that way but um the lineage that I trace, which is back to one of the founders, Kazuo Ono, his work with Buto was to move the body when you are moved by the spirit. Mm. So rather than having a kind of form first approach, mm-hmm. you find form when you're moved by it. Um, so sometimes that could mean what might appear to be just standing still on a stage for yeah. 20 minutes. But really, there's a whole internal dance happening with your organs, you know, yeah. because that's where your spirit has decided to move. I've definitely had my organs dance before. It's not <laughs> an experience I'd want to have on stage, but... Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's an interesting point, because, I mean, again, the spirit language is going to come up, but, like, inspiration, mm-hmm. I have no idea why I do the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Like, when you, I was waiting for you to come over here, and I put on some Kate Bush, and I was like, why did I pick that? Like... Mm-hmm of all the different things in my head that I listen to, that I like, that I know about, like what is it that causes one impulse to bubble up into action versus not another? And that's fascinating to dive deep into that murk and just be waiting for those, like to really be Mm -hmm. down with those impulses and exploring them as they're coming to being or coming into our awareness. I'm not sure which one. I love, I love that you, you brought that up because I think that um, it makes me think of, invitation Mm. and there's this especially in New York I think um, we have this tendency to kind of throw ourselves from one project to the next and um, we force inspiration quote-unquote inspiration um, rather than inviting and really receiving what is wanting to move through us Um, and so much can happen if you just suspend yourself and listen and invite a kind of I, I hate to use the word authentic, but um, an authentic yeah. uh, impulse from spirit to move you in a certain direction or another, um, rather than to ignore those things. It's very easy to kind of ignore those impulses, but to train yourself. And that's really what ghostly practice is all about. It's about training yourself to really be attuned to sensitive, subtle um, impulses. Well, so I, I, 
just to give the audience like a picture of what this is like, mm-hmm. um, I went to your ghostly uh, as a ghostly practice workshop here in New York, and I remember one of the exercises was we were laying down, and we had to turn over. Mm-hmm. But it, you're like, it's going to take forty five minutes, mm. and we had to go so slowly, and it was torture in so many ways. Like it really like like. I became so aware of my impulse to rush through things, of the normal physics that would be at play with moving my body didn't work at those slow speeds, and I had to find different ways mm-hmm. to do things. And I think there was some instruction about letting your breath do it as well, and I found mm-hmm. myself having this, like, pause and then push a little bit. Yeah. Pause and then push a little bit. And there was moments where it was really meditative and beautiful and then there was moments where I was like oh my arm is in a weird spot <laughs> uh-huh. and I can't just what I normally would do would just like jerk that into a different place it's like I'm I, it's like it was like playing like chess I had to think like six moves ahead to be like all right <laughs> once mm. once my shoulder makes contact then I can start to straighten my arm and take the pressure off of it and do this thing and then do that it's a, it's a kind of deep listening yeah um that exercise is very precious to me. It's very sacred. Um, and it, while micro movement is a, we, we call it micro movement exploration, mm-hmm. um, that's a common kind of training approach in Bouteau. But that particular exercise, the rolling meditation, comes from um, one of my Bouteau teachers from when I used to live in San Francisco, mm-hmm. Anastasia Louise Aranaga. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to dance with a Bouteau company out there called Bad Uncle Sista. Ooh. Yeah. Um, great name. Yeah. And and great, great um, people, great dancers, artists. Um, and Anastasia would start her class, as I do, with this micro-movement exploration. And the dancers in the company, I mean, we would sometimes do that two hours or more, just one roll, to go really, really deep. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that you're moving one muscle at a time, the tiniest possible muscle that you can only on the exhale and holding complete stillness as much as you can on the inhale. Um, And the idea is not really about arriving on your front. That's just the trajectory to guide your exploration. But it's, it's to find that place that is between suspension and release somewhere that's not even here anymore. Which is so hard, I think. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can speak for myself, but I think it's, it's a common thing that we're all so wired to think very largely about the destination. You know, like, everyone's oh, like, yeah. oh, I want to get to the thing where I'm successful and I have mm-hmm. it. Not the part where I'm, like, learning the skill. Like, fast forward, skip the credits. Like, this sucks. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very strong impulse that you have to confront in that basic exercise because i mean even with that with 45 minutes of it i was still like i know where i'm going Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i'm still plotting my course probably not spending enough conscious thought like just well the 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 great thing about that is also you're you're you say that you're plotting your course but that's all based on memories or um you know the entrails of your past that that may mm-hmm. or may not they're speaking to you now but they may or not actually be relevant to your moment or That's helpful true. at all yeah um and so you're encountering all of those tendencies in you which are ghosts mm-hmm. you know um that you are grappling with just in the most basic of movements um and just to start 
class that way um, with the hardest part. I think it's yeah. necessary um, to get into a place afterwards once we, are, you know, on the other side of that journey, um, it allows you to, to be far more attuned to the most, most subtle information available in space to dance from. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a book by Marvin Minsky that's, um, he's one of the, you know, kind of grandfathers of AI. And it's talking about the idea of consciousness and how, at what point do you go from unconscious things to conscious things? Mm -hmm. And like, if, if, you know, you're thinking kind of like the way that we break down matter into atoms, like at what point is the threshold that you cross? And his whole thing is that it's an emergent property and mm -hmm. that you have all of these unconscious agents, but when you get enough of them doing something together, this larger phenomenon emerges. And one of the examples he gives is talking about a baby playing with blocks mm -hmm. and like thinking about, all right, what are all of the actions that are required to move the block and you keep like he's like does this kind of tree mapping thing where you're taking each one and you're like all right grabbing the block well that's knowing how to have the right pressure with your fingers it's knowing how to move the fingers mm -hmm. how many fingers are involved and each one you're getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you have these like micro component pieces and then the idea is that those all sort of are going at once and through those all interacting and superseding each other and one urge being canceled by another urge you end up successfully grabbing the block and moving it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the Buto dance is 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 getting to the heart of that in both ways of like, mm. where is the inspiration to move coming from? And then how do I slow it down mm. to experience all of those little pieces? Yeah, and, and I mean, I would even kind of turn that on its head and say, if we're talking about Buto specifically, um, outside of really um, the ghostly practice aspect of it, um, it's really about being a broken machine mm. rather than um, rather than because you're as you're explaining, I mean, even with the, yeah. the AI framing, right, is all of these pieces working together machine like like mm -hmm. a mechanism. But what does it mean to break and to dance broken? Yeah. Um, that allows something else to happen. It allows us to, to get out of the rational thinking mind and be more open to um, what I would call spirit information. Yeah. Um, and not all not all dancers of Buto engage in spirit work in the same way that I personally do. Um, and that some in my lineage do as well. Um, but it, it still works in the same way. And in so far as you're trying to, um, undiscipline yourself yeah. in that way. I'm good at undisciplining myself. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Not good at disciplining myself. Um, tell me more about how you engage with spirits in this practice. Like, is there yeah just take us into the world <laughs> i mean personally um so the, i'm clairsentient mm -hmm. and also um i have synesthesia mm -hmm. so it, it sort of lends itself to already in terms of can you define both of those sure um clairsentient is is someone who is able to sense presence or information um in space and mm -hmm. it is um the information resonates or manifests in the body itself. Mm. Um, so for example, when I personally, a lot of my um, movement work is site specific um, or I'll, I can be in a space and feel spirit in mm. space or feel the history of a place. Um, 
lingering um, emotion, moments of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so not necessarily departed moments of, of someone departing this realm, but um, of a, a concentration in time and space of emotions. So residue. Residue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Residue. Residual yeah. traces um, of feeling in a space. And I often dance from that place. Um, so it's interesting when, um, oh, and I'll also say synesthesia is a, a blurring of the senses. So um, I have textural synesthesia. So I um, experience smell and sound and taste in differing ways, um, but I experience them in my body as textures and I dance from those textures. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it changes um, depending on, once again, when I'm having some trouble breathing, then I have more synesthetic experience um, and more, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but for example, I was I was gonna say it's interesting in in dancing space when you have. Um, so, for example, there's a dance that I frequently do with a musical project that I'm a part of that you're you've also performed with us. Cookie uh, Tongue with Cookie Tongue. Yeah, um, love Cookie Tongue. I'll be tongue. secretive about it. <laughs> no, um, no, plug Cookie yeah, Tongue. Cookie, cookie Tongue's tongue. great. Um, and that we often will end with a, a dance, which is also a ritual that is it brings in or or attempts to dance with the ghosts of a space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so depending on where we're performing, it can be very a radical different experience for right. me and for the audience, um, just based on what I'm bringing in. Um, and sometimes it's a more comfortable experience than others. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm always moved in some way. Um, yeah. Moved and moving. Moved and moving. Um, I was just thinking about inspiration again mm-hmm. um, and thinking about Anastasia, my teacher. And there's there's one image that she would offer to us that I really appreciate, which is as a dancer, as a mover. And I would say that this could also um, apply in other creative experiences, but it's most easily, um, I think, understood in a in a dance and movement context but if you're moving and then you find yourself sort of doing the same kind of um doing the same moves that you always do like yep. you those ones that you know are good and you're comfortable the in dice. them yeah. and yeah and, and you 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 get to a point where you're not even really present in your body because mm. you're just sort of repeating what's comfortable um and once again that's what the rolling meditation really helps you break out of um, but if you find yourself not really being moved, her, um, her training focuses on finding stillness and, and allowing yourself to hold stillness until you find a thread, a thread of inspiration, a new thread to move your body in a different way. And once that thread dissipates and you are too present in your routine mm-hmm. um, or your patterns, your patterning, um, to find stillness again until you find a new thread to move from. Um, sort of like to pause and wait yeah. and then find mm-hmm. it and then explore yeah. it until you're like, nope, now I'm going through the motions and yes, then yes. return to that pause. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were a writer, for example, yeah. and you hit um, writer's block, I mean, there is merit to stepping away, pausing mm-hmm. until it's time to re-enter the river and flow along with it. Um, yeah. 
Which is funny because I, I think like you, you rarely think about that with dance. It's the idea of like constant movement and rhythm and all these mm-hmm. things, not not pausing and holding and very slowly thinking about where to move next. Mm-hmm. I mean, but also, I mean, it's it's really a question of positive and negative space. The, when we think about the movement and the rhythm, that is movement and rhythm because it has something to counter it, mm-hmm. to, to identi- identify against it. Um, because of the stillness, because of the beginning and the end, you know. Do you think we're the movement and the rhythm that counters the stillness of the the other plane, the the afterlife? That's an interesting idea, but I I think that the spirits are more vibrant than we are. Ah, <laughs> I, I think that there's a liberation. More sluggish, comes. gross yeah. matter, and they're, <laughs> exactly. they're buzzing and vibrating about. Exactly, and yet, and yet, we can still provide vehicles for spirit to move through the world and do things that spirit cannot do in this plane. Um, but I think that the the energy, I mean, and you can think of movement in its potential is already vibrating too. Yeah. But, now, I know that you've been exploring spirits in another sense with um, you've been mm. doing research into seances and the mm-hmm. history of yes. these uh, old fashioned ghost hoedowns that used to happen <laughs> uh, in New York and around the world. I mean, it was a huge yeah. phenomenon mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. came out of the upstate region and then mm-hmm. Hydesville. Yeah. 1848. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was pop, I'm... lock and drop and Fox sisters. <laughs> Yes, um, who are both buried, actually, I believe. I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that they're buried at Greenwood Cemetery, which is mm. just uh, a block and a half away from where I live now. Um, and it's an amazing cemetery, if you haven't been. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I've I've been spending, um, just I'm, I'm in school right mm. now, um, pursuing a PhD in theater and performance studies Mm -hmm. and my focus is on the supernatural um, and the places where what I'm really interested in is moments in which um, the supernatural and magic and uh, ritual when it is brought onto stage and the line between what is real and what is theatrical is blurred Mm -hmm. Um, in which even something that's an intentional theatricality um, can actually become a real occurrence or ex- be experienced um, as a transformative magical event. Um, so, for example, um, I've been studying Victorian spiritualist ritual um, and and into the Edwardian area as well because there's some really interesting um, some interesting things that have happened over that whole time period. So, mm-hmm. so through 1910, really, um, from 1848 to 1910. Um, and I've been looking at the, really the, um, the performance aspects of seance and spiritualist mediumship. And there's a lot of different ways that, you know, we could talk about that, but. Um, well, my, my impression is that it runs the gamut from outright hucksterism that it was just, like someone was like this is a good racket that i can use to make money mm-hmm. to stuff that was very very sincere that people were like deeply believing in this mm-hmm. and then probably quite a bit in the middle where they're like we believe in this and the ghosts are real but we gotta mm-hmm. grease the wheels a little bit to get to get everyone in the right experience which is something that i'm always fascinated by yeah. of like i think you can have magic that is both um 
uh, trickery and special effects, but that helps get you into the frame of mind that you need to be in. And that's Mm -hmm. an important aspect of it. Exactly. And I mean, I really, I don't like the word hucksterism. And and I I think that it, it, it can be unfair to just kind of put a blanket statement on some folks. I mean, some spiritualist performers who um, were doing theatrical things and claiming yeah. that certain things were happening because of spirits when they were physically doing something to enable that to mm-hmm. happen. So, for example, the Fox sisters um, made the um, sounds that they were making by popping their toes and their ankles, yeah. which is, you know, fascinating. Which is crazy. Um, but regardless, I think, of whether the intention whether or not it was so-called trickery, whether or not it was a theatrical claim, there was real things happening and real um, experiences made um, sensible. That That is what is interesting to me. So even when mediums weren't even aware of themselves as making, um, even if they thought they were, you know, holding one over someone or what is the phrase um okay. pulling a fast one yeah whatever yeah. it is um even if that was an intention a con a ruse yeah yeah i mean um it doesn't preclude a real experience from happening and oftentimes i mean and we, we've talked about this too with ritual um both you and i um facilitate ritual mm-hmm. for people and and sometimes it is about creating a container a space for people to enter and receive from that experience what they need. And that is the the real experience there. I've read I've read reports from journalists that were going to like modern like like a John Edwards show or mm-hmm. something like that, like a, one of these modern mediums and they're mm-hmm. going and there's a bunch of tricks that can be used to like find information and fish for the details or mm-hmm. use vague statements to get more specific as you you, you get the feedback loop, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I've seen a couple of these pieces where the writer is like, even if there's that afoot, it was a very real experience for everyone that was there. Mm-hmm. Like these are people that have gone through a loss and the person was able to facilitate a group experience that was really helping people connect with the memories of their loved ones who have departed. Mm-hmm. And yes, like I, I probably don't think that this person was actually hearing the ghost whisper in their ear. And I know some of the techniques that they're using, mm-hmm. but they were like, the writer was like surprised at how like moved and emotional Absolutely. they themselves felt. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that is what is, uh, I think such a powerful thing about theater and what draws me to, I mean, that is why I'm a theater scholar is yeah. that theater is a very, very unique and powerful medium medium Mm -hmm. um medium medium (laughs) yeah um for for affect um and affect is a very very powerful force um and it affect does not mean something that is not real just because it's not material doesn't mean it's not real um if it if it does work on us if it moves us if it changes our reality in some way or our perception of reality, it is quote unquote real. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of my research is in modern seance techniques as well. So I've looked, I'm interested in the history, but I've also spent a lot of time in the last couple of months doing research at the uh, New York Conjuring Arts uh, Research Center, which is amazing. Um, and 
they have every possible kind of book and manual on every kind of mostly stage magic, but mm-hmm. they also have a lot um, about holding seance from a theatrical perspective. Um, and what I've kind of received from from all of the research that I've done, not just in the contemporary work, but in uh, you know through history, is a lot of mediums, like you said, are aware that part of what they are doing is theatrical mm-hmm. um that there is a storytelling aspect to it that's very important but it is a dialogue with the witnesses with the sitters um and what they bring in with them to the space is what creates the experience yeah um my my older brother in los angeles um he has a, a space that and they host events and one of the events that they host um, frequently actually is a, se- a seance so a recreation of a victorian style seance Ooh. and um and that's one of the things i mean the the guy i forgot his name but the guy who leads it there um he says you know sometimes nothing happens but sometimes things do happen and you feel that um and what you sense is real for you yeah and I think you have to get in the zone. And, mm-hmm. You know, I think that's like the classic thing with hypnosis is the person that's like, you can't hypnotize me. I'm mm-hmm. not going to do any of the things you say. And it's like, are you going to disprove exercise by going to a gym and refusing to lift weights? Like, yeah, right. Like if you don't play along to some extent or if you don't open yourself up mm-hmm. to the techniques that would get you into that state, then yeah, mm-hmm. of course you're not going to have the experience. Like. Yeah, you and know. I think that's where I would the suspend comes back, right? Suspend an in, in invitation. I mean, to open yourself up to what's possible. Yeah, and suspend and your... to what's trying to speak to you or move you or dance with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's get into our spell crafting portion and figure out what's a magic spell that these listeners that are. I like to call them future ghosts in my head because mm-hmm. like we're having this conversation right now, mm-hmm. but everyone's listening to it at a later point. We're spanning time together. Mm-hmm. But uh, how can how can we all dance with ghosts a little bit more? What's something that you can do to boogie with a a, a boogeyman in your in your own life? <laughs> um, well, I want to before we we do that, just kind of reiterate that. Ghosts can mean a, a lot of different things to mm-hmm. different people. Yes, and um, and it could mean a very specific spirit that you have in mind. It can mean an ancestor, um, a dearly departed, as we say. A guy that won't text you back. It can also mean that. Yeah. It can mean something that was part of your life that no longer is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also mean um, something that will be in the future. Yeah. I definitely believe that as well. Um, and it can, and like I said, it can also be a happening, an occurrence in a space that yeah. whose residue you can feel. Um, and so I, I love, like in a, in a city like New York or in a city like San Francisco. I did this in San Francisco a lot too. I think um, one thing that could be an interesting spell for someone to try a movement spell um, would be to find yourself in a public space where there are, you're kind of in the flow, um, maybe walking on the sidewalk, getting out of the subway if you're in New York or if you're in another town or city, just like walking along the street, even in the supermarket. I was about to say the grocery yeah. store is where yeah. I thought like, Where yeah. people are like have, a, you know, they have a purpose, mm-hmm. they're walking with purpose. And I would challenge um, you, dear listener, uh, to 
suspend your purpose in that moment and move one muscle at a time, walking forward, but only on the exhale and see what happens. Mm. To feel yourself intentionally suspending your body in time and space. In a space that has a flow that's mm-hmm. that's that you're kind of working yeah. against in some ways because there's the expectation. Yes. That, yeah. And and when you do that, you will feel yourself up against a current flowing around mm-hmm. you. But just um, just like in a river, when a stone is in the water, and you have water rushing past the stone, it creates a calm space, which yeah. we call an eddy. It's a, a place of refuge yeah. if you're a, a, a kayaker, for example. Right. And you can hang out in the eddy and just kind of breathe. Um, and so when you're in that moment of stillness that you're creating for yourself of suspension, can you listen with your body to all of the memories that hover in that space that mm. you're inhabiting? Can you collapse time in that moment and just sense what may have been here, even just... 10 minutes before you were yeah and see what that does in your body i love the idea of that at the grocery store too because the grocery store (laughs) is a place that i always feel is filled with um these future ghosts in a way Mm -hmm. as i'm walking around and i know that not everything gets sold but most of it does otherwise the store would not do very well and you look at a, a a long aisle of breakfast cereals and it's Mm. like who are all the people that are going to take these boxes home? Mm-hmm. Or you look at the produce, and you're like, that's a fuckload of bok choy. <laughs> who are all of the people that are going to buy that bok choy? But also, who are all the people who have touched that bok choy to Already. get it to me here? Exactly. Um, that, that I will say, becomes sometimes a little overwhelming for me because I definitely yeah. have all of those sensations when I'm working with, you know, like just grab an apple and like how right. far has an apple gone? How many hands have touched it? How many hands, boxes, trucks that that yeah. Apple's had its whole little little journey just to be mm-hmm. going down on your counter because you forgot to eat the apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you can dance that. Dance that sweet apple dance. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you, Devin. For more of Jacqueline's work, visit JacquelineMarieShannon.com. And if you're feeling the ghost emotions of this ritual stirring yourself into activity, why not take a little rumba over to patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual where you can get into the groove of what we're trying to create here, the magic, the community, and the connection by offering up just a little bit of your energy with the ritual sacrifice of $4.20. Thank you for being a part of the magic today. I hope the spirits have stirred within you and you are ready to shake it out in all of the ways you know how. Boo, baby. Boo. (laughs) 